love and support for that. We are going to start a series of teachings that we'll do for a few weeks called Rebuilding. And this uh, series, we're going to look through two books in the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, and maybe you're thinking, I've never read those, and this is going to be a great chance for you to read these. These actually probably, most scholars think this started out as one writing. Um, but the books of Ezra and Nehemiah detail the story of the Israelite people in the Old Testament after they got released from their season of exile. Um, so if you know the story, um, the nation of Israel, a prominent nation, they got conquered by the Babylonian Empire. And this was really a sign of God's judgment because of their immorality, because of their idolatry that had become rampant in the nation of Israel. Um, the Babylonian Empire came in and uh, basically conquered the city, destroyed the temple, took the people as captives, basically sent them away out of their homes into the surrounding nations of the Babylonian Empire where they were essentially a slave people. And so about 70 years after that, they are allowed to return to Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding communities and rebuild the temple and rebuild the city walls. This is another kind of freedom story. They were in slavery, they were in captivity and in exile in Babylon, and now they're allowed to come back and rebuild. It's the story, and here's really the main idea. It's the story of God bringing people out of a very dark season and rebuilding something beautiful. That's why we're calling it rebuilding. So I thought, you know, since we're kind of in this part of the Old Testament, and maybe some of you are more familiar than others with the Old Testament and kind of the timeline, I thought we could do a little review of the Old Testament. Here it is in one slide, all right? Saturday, Super Saturday, here we go. All right, so we've got the story starts with Abraham in the book of Genesis when God reveals himself to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make a covenant relationship with you and your descendants. And the descendants of Abraham become numerous. And eventually, you know, if you know the story of Joseph, when his brothers sell him into slavery into Egypt, and then there's a famine and they have to go settle in Egypt, that's basically the story through the book of Genesis, is the descendants of Abraham, three or four generations later, um, settling in Egypt due to a famine. Now, the next book, Exodus, is because they're all settled in Egypt, eventually Egypt realizes these Israelites, these descendants of Abraham, have become so numerous that we've got to kind of conquer them. And they, be treat, they treat them as slaves. They become slaves in Egypt. And that's the book of Exodus. Moses gets raised up by God to lead them out of slavery in the book of Exodus. Because of their disobedience and their lack of trust in God, God has them wander in the desert for how long? Anyone know how long they wandered in the desert? 40 years. Now, this is what you would read about in the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you have ever tried to read through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it feels like you're wandering in the desert. <laughs> this is when God gives the law, the Ten Commandments. There's all sorts of great stories in there, but... That's those, the rest of the first five books of the Old Testament is them wandering in the desert, preparing to go into the promised land, which happens with Joshua. In the book of Joshua, Joshua leads them. He succeeds Moses leading the Israelites and leads them into the promised land. Now, they eventually become the nation of Israel with kings and city walls and a, and a mighty army and a prominent wealthy city. Now we read, or as nation, and we read about these in the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. Those are 
Story after story of the nation of Israel with King Saul, King David, King Solomon, and then generation after generation of other kings, and then the kingdom splits. And because of idolatry and wickedness, some kings lead them back to God in their devotion, and then some kings steer them away to worship the gods of the surrounding nations. That is the story in those books, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And at the end of Chronicles is when the nation of Israel is conquered by Babylon and they are sent off into exile as God's judgment is upon them. Now, while they're in exile, there are books like Daniel and Jeremiah, other prophets that are prophesying to the people of Israel while they're like throughout the surrounding empire in Babylon without a home, without a nation, without any identity, probably and most likely wondering if God had just given up on them. If God had given up on them, a well-known verse in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That is spoken to the Israelites as they are starting this season of exile, when they're thinking that God has given up on them. Um, and so that is the story you read about in Daniel and Jeremiah. And then Ezra and Nehemiah is the rebuilding it's when they are allowed to leave exile, go back to Jerusalem, go back to Judea, and rebuild the temple, rebuild the city. So here's the main point. This is why this story and these books of the Bible are important to you. And here's the main idea that I want us to get is this. God wants to build something in you. Amen. God wants to build something in you. And it might be a rebuild. Maybe you have had a season in your life where you sensed God close to you and because of some sort of circumstance or a decision you have made, you have wandered away and you feel like maybe God is done. And the word of the Lord comes to you tonight on Super Saturday and says God wants to build or rebuild something in you. Your faith, you individually, your Christian faith has a purpose. It's a purpose for his glory. And we get to participate in what God wants to build in each of us. This is phenomenal news, okay? This is wonderful news. God wants to build something for his glory of strength and prominence and impact in the world in your life. Your faith has that purpose. So let's talk about this for a minute because some of you maybe are new to church and maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you just came because someone said there's soup and you're here and you're like, well, what does it mean? What does this Christian thing even mean? Or you've been coming to church for a while and you're like, yeah, we go to church on Sunday because somebody said it was a good idea and we don't really know what, what to do next. Here's the deal. When you become a Christian, you know, in, in some church environments, it maybe is an altar call where it's like every head bowed and every eye closed and raise your hand if you want to become a Christian and you repeat the sinner's prayer. There's lots of ways to do that. It's essentially acknowledging that you're a sinner and that Jesus is salvation for you. But when you raise a hand or where you make a profession of faith, that's not the end of the story. That is the beginning of you in this process of God building something in your life. And here's the deal. God does not just take over your life. When you become a Christian, it's not just sit back and, okay, God, let's, let's see what God does in my life. And all of a sudden, he like starts moving you over here. We, you have no control over it. And he doesn't just take you over. He invites you to participate. He invites you to follow him, to step out in faith, to work hard, to develop these gifts that God has put on your heart, to step out in faith into what he has for you to do. He doesn't take over your life. He leads you. 
He provides for you. He protects you. But you must participate. You must participate. So what does God want to build in you? It's not just raising a hand. It's not just coming to church. Some people see it as, um, I became a Christian. I got forgiveness for my sins and even the sins that I'm going to commit in the future. And as long as I keep praying for forgiveness, eventually when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And that's what all their faith is about, is just sin management so they can get into heaven. Heaven is great, and we all want to get there. But it is so much more than that. It is so much more than just, okay, I know my sins are paid for, so now we're just going to kind of, you know, stumble through life and just wait for heaven, I guess. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. It's not just waiting for heaven. When you read the teachings of Jesus, he taught often about the kingdom of heaven. Often he talked about the kingdom of heaven. But he would refer to it as the kingdom of heaven has come now. When people would decide to follow him, it would say, he would say the kingdom of heaven has come into this house today. The kingdom of heaven is alive in this person now. God's redemptive work, his restorative work, his rebuilding in your life starts now. It is not a heaven thing. When we talk about uh, letting our light shine or being salt and light or, or um, all these steps of faith or ways that we can grow in our faith, it is not just waiting for heaven before we become more spiritual. It is God does this work in us now. In fact, Jesus would speak very bluntly about people who professed faith in him or professed faith in God, but it didn't change their life at all. Jesus would speak very harshly about people like that who thought it's just a, a word of, I'm going to just speak something with my, with my mouth that I believe in God and it's not really going to change my life at all. Jesus had harsh words for that, talking about people who did not bear fruit. So wherever you are in your faith as we begin this series, you might not even be a believer in Jesus yet or a new believer or barely a believer or a long-time believer. Here's what I'm asking all of us to do over the next few weeks as we dive into these books of the Bible. Just take some time to seek the Lord and ask, what, do you, what are you wanting to build in my life? I have limited days on this earth to make a difference for the glory of God. What are you going to build in my life? Many of you are at the funeral service for Roger Lane a couple of days ago. It was such a challenging time to see the impact that Roger made because he decided when he became a follower of Jesus to allow God to build something in his life and to make the most of his days. And it was just, you know, generations of people and people from all over the world there saying, Roger Lane had an impact on my life because he allowed God to do a work in his life. He didn't waste his days. So all of us can just say, God, over the next few weeks, just speak to me about what you want to build in me. And teenagers, I know you might just be here because your parents dragged you here. This is a great time for you to start this process of, God, what do you want to build in my life? This process of God building a faith in you does not start when you become a grown-up or a parent or something like that. It is something God begins in you now. Habits that you form now for godliness and devotion and discipleship will reap great fruit and rewards through your entire life as you start them now. So this is what I'm asking us to do to see what God wants to do in us and in our church. So let's dive in. We're going to start in the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, right out of the gate. Ezra chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 1 through 4. It says this. Uh, sorry, side note. 
The Babylonian Empire eventually got conquered by the Assyrian Empire, and that got conquered by the Persian Empire, and so now Persia is the dominant empire in charge. And we read about that in verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so basically the conquering kingdom, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold and goods and livestock and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. We're going to stop there. If you've read that, you might be thinking, okay, this is just the start of the story. That is enormous what we just read. Just think about that. The conquering nation who had conquered the surrounding world, who was treating God's children, the nation of Israel, as basically second-class citizens, all of a sudden hears from God, and it's talking about, he's talking about their God and the God that is in Jerusalem. So it's not even his God. He's hearing from the God of Israel saying, you have to let the people go back and rebuild the temple. And he decides, he makes a proclamation. It says God changes the hearts of the ruling king in the, in the enemy empire. God changed the heart of the leader. That's a key thing not to miss. This was the king of the Persian empire. And all of a sudden he hears from God and then he not only allows the Israelites to go free and rebuild it, then he says, we're going to pay for it too. We're going to send you with silver and gold and timber and livestock. And if you're in a community where there's Israelites that are going home, a lot of them probably were like indentured servants or like slave workers. Not only are they letting them go free, it's like, here, let me give you money so that you can go pay for what God has put on our heart for you to do. That is a remarkable turn of circumstances that would be unfathomable for the, for the nation of Israel, right? To think we're, we're in this enemy nation and all of a sudden God is going to move on the leader. So he's not only going to let us go free, but he's going to give us everything we need to go rebuild our city. That is phenomenal. And all of that to say this, for your life, God can make a way, right? God can make a way. God can change circumstances. There can be authorities in your life. God can speak to rulers of nations and authorities in your life. God can speak to total strangers to come alongside of you and to orchestrate circumstances to allow you to go free and to rebuild what he wants you to do. You might be thinking that there's like a dead end circumstance in your life where you're like, there is no way I'm getting through this. There is no way that I'm going to get through this. I can't find any solution imaginable. I have exhausted every possible resource and recourse for me to get out of this situation. And you think it's hopeless. Well, God can make a way where you were at first like, I wouldn't have even imagined that as being a possibility. Has anyone ever experienced that, right? I've experienced that in my life where Christy and I were praying for something and we thought, I don't know how this is going to work out. And something comes out of somewhere in a circumstance that we're like, we would have never even imagined 
That was a possibility. I've heard stories of people who all of a sudden get a letter from the IRS saying that they had been overcharged for so many years and here is a check for thousands of dollars from the government, right? I mean, just things that you're like, that is unbelievable. I want your faith to be lifted tonight because God can make a way through circumstances that you never would even have imagined as being possible. And this is the best part about participating in the work of God in your life. This is my favorite part. When you step out in faith and do something and you're like, I'm not sure how this is even going to work. And then you see God come through in a way that you had never even thought possible. Boy, your faith is lifted, right? Boy, you are encouraged. You are excited. You're like, I can't wait to do this again because look at what God did. This is how he works. We get to see him do it. We get to participate. So the Israelites, they hear this decree from Cyrus, the king of Persia. They return to their homeland and they rebuild the temple under the direction of a man named Zerubbabel. Everyone say Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Bless you. <laughs> So bad, so bad. Zerubbabel was the guy in charge of rebuilding the temple. So we're going to pick up the story because then in chapter 2 of Ezra, it goes through a list of people who returned. And it's lists of names and numbers, which we're not going to go through that tonight. Uh, chapter 3, Ezra chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, it says this. So they're rebuilding the temple. There's a lot in these next few verses. Ezra 3, verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. So King David several, several generations before. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. We're going to stop there. Okay, we're going to work through a couple of things here. First of all, they build the temple, they lay the foundation, and when it's the foundation of the temple has been laid. So it's basically, the, the work is not done, but it's established enough where they're like, look, God is not, we are starting this work. The foundation has been laid. And they begin to worship in response to what God has done. What a great response in worship of look at what God has done. Look how God has provided. The foundation of the temple is there. Look at what he is doing. Let's stop and praise him for what he has done done. This is really what worship is. When you come into an environment like this and we're singing songs like we did tonight, I know it's real easy. I've been in church music a long time. It's real easy for everyone just to kind of get spectatory and kind of watch and listen. And uh, if you like the songs, then we'll sing. And I just want to, I just want to just comment. The singing tonight was great. There was a great response in worship. I love that. I want to see that stirred up more here because it's not just a spectator thing. It's not, well, if the music's good or if I'm feeling good enough or if it's, it, maybe I'll respond and sing a little bit and I don't really want to raise my hands. and All of those things, it's very natural to start feeling that way. When we can make that shift away from that, 
I'm going to worship if enough things go right to I'm going to worship because I have seen what God has done in my life. And it doesn't matter if there's 10 musicians or zero musicians. I'm going to lift a shout of praise because what God has done in my life. This is really what church services should be more about. Um, a lot of times church services in this part of the world in this day and age is we go about our business during the week and we go to our jobs and we live our life and we do our thing and then we do our spiritual time on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings and that's where we can fill ourselves up with God or we just come because we think it's a good idea and then we go back to our life and if we can make it through the week with enough Jesus we picked up on Sunday or Saturday night and maybe with a little Christian radio sprinkled in there we can make it through the week and then we oh good I made it to church again. That is not what the church is about, right? That is not what the church is about. Instead, it should be a lot like this, where during the week, we go about seeing God build something in us. And the work that God is doing in us is not only changing our lives, it's impacting the world around us and our workplaces and our schools and our communities are impacted by the work that God is building in us. And we're seeing people saved. And through the week, we're just getting charged up because God is moving through you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Then we come together on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning and we respond of what God has done. We lift up testimonies of praise because all of us are saying, this is what God did in my life. Look at what God did this week. Can you believe this? Look at, I led this person to the Lord this week. Welcome them in. And it's a celebration of what God has been doing all week long. Does that make sense? That is a great example in Ezra of what a church gathering could be like. Responding to what God has been doing all along in us in an offering of worship and praise and thanks. There's another big thing in those verses that we read, though. Because there are older people that remembered the previous temple. The previous temple was the temple that Solomon built. Solomon built, King Solomon built the temple when Israel, you know, hundred, I mean, hundreds of years before this, when Israel was at the height of its power, its influence, its wealth, its prosperity, the nation of Israel, hundreds of years before this, when God spoke to Solomon to build a temple, no expense was spared. Everything was covered in gold and fine stones and silver and ornate, and it was magnificent. And now this temple that is being built out of the people that just came out of captivity in Babylon or now in Persia, is much more meager. It's not anything like the splendor of the previous temple. And those who were alive now, who were also alive when they saw Solomon's temple, start to weep in sadness because they think this is nothing like Solomon's temple. This is nothing like the old temple. This is nothing like what we used to see. This is sadness in their heart. Other people who didn't know the previous temple, they were rejoicing because look at what God's doing. But there was a number of people who recognized this is nothing like what God did before. The thought was this, what God is doing now is not like what he did before. This is the equivalent in your life if you've ever thought that God is done or that your best days are in the past. And you sit there and you think, boy, I remember when I used to be close to God, or I remember when God used to do this. Or maybe it was a, a ministry role or a prominent position of leadership or something that you had in your life and you think, oh, I remember that. 
I remember that. And now I'm just doing this. Now what I'm doing for God just seems so small and insignificant. Or the work that he's doing in me isn't like that work that he's doing over there or that work he's doing over there. But it's just something that seems so humble and so small in my life. And you start to feel sad about the work that God is doing in this moment. If you've ever thought that what God is doing in you is not significant, this is your moment. Because there is encouragement for those people that is coming, but it's not found in the book of Ezra. Throughout the Old Testament, there are other books that are books of prophecy, where there were prophets of God alive during this time. There were prophets of God that God would speak to different people. So we're going to look at a man named Zechariah, which is second to the last book in the Old Testament. We're going to flip there to Zechariah chapter 4. God speaks to Zechariah, who's the prophet who is alive during this time. And this is what God speaks to Zechariah in Zechariah 4, verse 6 through 10. Because he recognized this is a response to that sadness that people are feeling, seeing the new temple being nothing like the old temple. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 through 10, it says this. Now, this is God speaking to Zechariah. So he said to me, so God said to Zechariah, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, the guy building the temple. Probably right around the same time that the people were, some were worshiping and some were crying out in sadness because the new temple was not like the old temple. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. And then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. And then get this. Who dares despise the day of small things? Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. So there's a lot there. First of all, where it says the seven eyes of the Lord, that has to do with a vision that Zechariah was hearing in that or seeing in that moment of seven lampstands that represented God seeing all over the earth. So we don't believe that God is a weird kind of seven eyed creature that scares us in the middle of the night. But it's saying the eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. So all that is saying is this. Do not despise what seems to be a small work. You who are in tears over this smaller version of the temple, thinking that God is somehow less with you, don't despise the beginnings that look small. Don't despise the work that seems to be from human eyes insignificant. Don't despise the small work. An insignificant work in God's hands. God can see that and he can rejoice just like Zerubbabel, another translation said, holding the plumb line or putting the first stone down. Just as Zerubbabel starts the work, God sees that and rejoices because not that it's a completed work, not not that it's earthly as magnificent as the previous temple, because God knows that a work has begun, that he is going to see it through, and his glory will be shown through it. God is thrilled when he sees a work starting in your life, and you might look at it and think, well, this doesn't seem like anything. And God is looking at you and saying, do not despise what seems small in earthly eyes because the fact that you are just beginning the work, God looks around and says, that's it. 
That's the work that I have for them, and they are beginning, and it is going to bring me glory, and it is going to change the world. This is what is going on in your life. Do not despise a small work. It is not by might. It is not by your power. You can't force anything. It is allowing God to do a work, and even if it seems insignificant in the moment, God is at work, and that is why you need to rejoice. Amen? It is a work of the Lord. I want to talk about Zechariah for a minute as one of the prophets. Um, this is the idea of prophecy is that God would speak to individuals in order to have them go. So the idea here is God speaks to Zechariah saying, go tell Zerubbabel. It's not by might nor by power. Don't despise small things. I'm thrilled that it's even beginning. I'm in this. I'm in this. And so the idea would be Zechariah to go to Zerubbabel and all the people who are sad and say, hey, I know you're sad, but I just heard from God. And God said, don't despair, don't despise this work. I am in it, not by might nor by power. I am thrilled that this is happening. That is a, the work of prophecy happening, where God speaks to someone a word of encouragement or wisdom, and they go and share it to somebody else. That still happens today. Okay, so if you think that prophets were just in the Old Testament, that still happens today. We read about in the New Testament that there are spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives people this ability to hear from God and hear something to go share some, to somebody else. I have been on both sides of this where I felt, I'm just praying, and I felt so clearly God say to me, I want you to go talk to this person about this and say this to them. And there's times where it doesn't really make sense, and I'm like, oh, man, I sounds are you sure and you know if maybe you're a, a pillar of faith person that you're like yep i'm on it for me it always takes a little bit like are you sure so I, but i go and i talk to them and again it's just being obedient to what god wants to do and i share what I, I said i don't know if this makes any sense but i was praying and i feel like god said this and you just see their eyes like you have no idea what that means to me and i've been on the receiving end of that where people come to me and they say hey i was praying and this is what god spoke to me to tell you this is the gift of prophecy at work i want to encourage you god might use you in that when you're praying and you might sense just it might be an audible voice it might just be a sense in your heart or just something you feel led to do and i don't know otherwise how to describe it i want to encourage you to obey in those moments go to somebody and say i was praying and i feel like god spoke this to me for you you never know what imagine the word of zachariah being heard by Zerubbabel in that moment. What an encouragement that would have been. This is the gift of prophecy that is alive for us today. There's another prophet, a couple pages before that, another small book in the Old Testament, the book of Haggai. Haggai was a prophet. Haggai chapter 2, verse 3 through 9, is the same time when Zerubbabel is building the temple, God speaks another word to the prophet Haggai. It says this, Haggai 2, verse 3. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Again, talking about the people who saw the old temple. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. I love that. And work. Get to work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. For this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt so many generations ago. And my spirit remains with you, do not fear. 
And then this is a great passage of scripture talking about the new temple that was being built. This next verse I've prayed, I prayed over this building when we were purchasing and renovating this building. Somewhere downstairs on the floor when we were writing in all of our scripture verses before we put the flooring down, these verses are written down there on that floor. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. Okay, so sorry, I keep stopping. Imagine the foundation of this new temple has been laid. Some people are discouraged. Some people are uh, encouraged and enthusiastic. They're about to face all sorts of opposition towards rebuilding. They don't know it yet, but it's coming in the next chapter, in next week, next week's message. All of this, and then you hear God say this about this new temple. And I want you to hear this about the work that God is doing in your life. This is what the Lord Almighty says in verse 6. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Do not be discouraged by what seems to be insignificant work in your life. God is with you. And I love that verse before, so get to work. Get to work. It's like, why are you fearful, people? Zerubbabel is building this thing. I'm with you. Get to work. People of Homestead Church, I'm building something in your life. I'm preparing you for something. I'm strengthening your faith. So get to work. Get to work. The days are short. Work hard at what God has put on your heart to do. And God's going to bring amazing results. God can shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. God can orchestrate circumstances. And I love that he says, this temple, this new temple that's just being built that you think is insignificant, the glory of this one is going to be even greater than the Solomon temple. The, ones that you, the one that you thought was everything you could ever dream of. The glory in this current work is going to be greater than the work that I've done over there. The glory of the work that God is doing in your life is going to be greater than anything you've seen in your life before, no matter what you think it looks like right now. So get to work at what God has put on your heart. It's going to take time. It took time to rebuild the temple. It took time to prepare. Zerubbabel had plans. He had to prepare. This was a, we're going through this story pretty quick. It takes time. There might be times where you think, all I did was a tiny little thing. All I did was spend some time in prayer and, and Bible study today. That is not insignificant work. That is God preparing you for what he is trying to build. That's laying the foundation of the work that he is doing in your life is a disciplined time of prayer and Bible study. Join a group. Find a place to serve. Do something to allow God to speak to you and grow your faith. Amen? Do something that is going to be participating in the work that God wants to build in your life. Do not stop growing. Don't despise meager circumstances that seem insignificant right now. God will shake the heavens and provide for you, and God will finish the work in you, and your life will be like a lamp shining for his glory, making an impact wherever you go for his kingdom. So some of you need to start. Some of you just need to start to change the view of church from I just come to Sunday or Saturday night service because it just is the thing I'm supposed to do, and to own your faith and to start 
this building and rebuilding process. Spend time in the word, spend time in prayer. You're like, well, I don't know how to read or I don't know where to start or I don't know how to pray. Learn, join a small group, find someone around you in this church who knows how to pray and say, can you teach me how to do that? Learn, get to work. This is the beginning of the work that God wants to do in you. And some of you maybe are, um, maybe you need to restart. Maybe you need to rebuild. Maybe you're like that con a construction project that was going great and then something happened and ran out of money of like a building that's being built and all of a sudden construction had to stop or some other circumstance. I've seen, seen buildings around, around the world and even in, this, in, in the state of Minnesota somewhere like, oh, somebody started something but it never got finished, right? Maybe some of you, that's what your faith looks like. There's, there's remnants of what God was doing in days past. You can look at it and say, I remember when God was speaking to my heart. I remember when God was putting that dream in my heart. I remember when God was challenging me to do that. And you're looking at it like, oh, man, that seems like a long time ago now. And all that's left is just the, the remnants of that construction project. And it's kind of, it looks a little wonky right now, right? It's time to start again. Start rebuilding. Continue on. Continue on. If you've stopped growing, start growing again. You're never finished. The work is on this earth. It's not like God's ever completely done. There's always a growth step for us to take. So let's get moving again. Let's get to work. Let's begin that process of God building us up into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and to build that strong faith and those things that he wants us to do. So it would start with Bible and prayer. It would start with um, finding a place to serve. It would start with you growing in your willingness and your um, obedience to share your faith with somebody else, right? That's where a lot of people stop. It's like, oh, I'm, I like Jesus for me in my life, but I don't want to talk to anybody about it. It might be just being willing to share what God has done in your life with somebody else. Invite somebody to church. This church has got to be more than just kind of the people who are here. We're like, yay, we're having soup and we're an awesome church and we have music. It is we have a world of people that need to hear about Jesus. So the work that God is doing in your life and in my life is for a purpose to reach other people. So whatever it is, uh, a disciplined time in Bible reading and prayer, joining a group, sharing your faith, inviting someone to church. It could be something way more significant where right now you're like, oh, I was hoping he wouldn't preach a message like this because I know God has been calling me to do this and I have been resistant. Or I thought maybe that call of God on my life had been passed or invalidated or whatever and it's stirring up again in your life and it might be something really significant. And I want you to know we are here with you and we're praying with you and we want to help support you in any way we can. But all of us, can we just be willing to say, God, what are you trying to build in my life? Amen? Can we do that? What are you trying to build? And even if it seems small, don't despise the small things because God sees it and he rejoices that the work has begun because he knows what's going to come of it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. I thank you for these uh, accounts in scripture, the books of Haggai and Zechariah, where these writings were preserved over thousands of years where we can read about these accounts of a work that you were doing with your people and how people came along hearing encouragement from the Lord saying, don't give up, God is with you, you can do it. Because that's what we need to hear tonight. We need to hear the same words as the prophet spoke thousands of years ago. Lord, speak it to our hearts tonight that it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit. 
that you are doing a work in us. And even if we face opposition, that you are with us and that you will provide and protect and orchestrate circumstances and change the hearts of leaders and, and uh, make things that seem like dead ends into favorable circumstances for your people. We know that you do that and we ask that you would continue to do that. I pray that you would encourage each of us to just take a step of growth as we start this new year, as we start another year following you, I pray that we would all be willing just to take that step, to do that thing, to make that phone call, to, to give that gift, to, to have that conversation, whatever it is, to, to quit that job or take that job or to sign up for whatever ministry it is, to go to a street team, to share our faith. All of these things, Lord, we want it to be led by you just so that you can build in us what you want to build in us. And for people who have yet to make a decision to follow you, I pray that you would just draw them in tonight. Holy Spirit, speak to their heart. Convict them of their sin and their lostness and reveal your plan of salvation and new life to them that it is only found through Jesus Christ by his death and resurrection. Build a work in us, Lord. Rebuild what has long been stagnant in us. Rekindle the fire that used to burn brightly for our first love. Stir a new passion for worship in our life. Stir a passion for evangelism and sharing our faith. Stir a heart of desire to spend time in prayer and Bible study. Lord, and we will get to work. We will do our part. We will participate. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen.